0: My, my, good people of the internet, it looks like Christmas is finally here. And I got some of my guests here to help me help you spread a little holiday love. Good luck. <laughs> oh, well, I know here at the Higher Side yes, we couldn't be more giddy about it. And why not celebrate the corporate-driven season of spending with a gift that, oh so ironically, spits right in the face of the Christmas machine with the sweet, sweet softness of a t-shirt for the rebellious fashionista in your life from my little clothing brand over at conspirates.net.
1: This is one of the most degrading things that anyone could possibly do.
0: Uh, thanks, Freeman. Or better yet, give them the gift that gives all year long with a subscription to THC Plus for one of your oh-so-precious friends and family. I know that's what Jim Mars is doing, right, man?
2: Well, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence myself.
0: <laughs> Guys, this is not constructive. Duncan Trussell, help me out here. If I were Satan, the first idea I'd want to implant into their heads is... Okay, that's not what I had in mind either, but if you know someone who enjoys THC, just go to the higher side chats plus.com with any credit or debit card and put in the email address and information for that special someone in your life rather than yourself. I know I and all the great guests on THC would really appreciate it.
3: We don't want to kill anybody or hurt anybody we want to make a system that works
0: Jacques I think that approach is actually illegal let's not do that it was a great idea
3: but it doesn't go far enough
0: no man it went too far but guys all I'm saying is a year or six months of THC plus makes a great gift believe me I just signed Douglas Dietrich up for a year and he couldn't be happier <laughs> okay. I love you dearly uh, <laughs> yes uh, honestly uh, you flatter me too much if you were a member of the opposite sex I would propose see what I tell you Merry Christmas people. <laughs> uh.
2: The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan. There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man. And until you've thoroughly tested every last course just in view, I find the more you think you know, the less you really do. That's true, Doctor Zayus. Oh, wow. Where would we be without THC? Cause we know that my to us just don't know to what degree. Yeah, where would we be without THC? The higher side chat show. Greg and Company.
0: Alright, higher side chatters. We've all heard the Arthur C. Clarke quote that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic but maybe they're linked by more than just appearance. Because it seems that most people who study the smattering of crumbs the deep state has dropped over the past few decades will find a few curious connections between occult practices and technological advancements, strange phenomenon and secret experiments, and let's not forget the curious resurrection of ancient Babylonian names from companies on the bleeding edge of things we'll probably never even see. It's true that odd pieces that seem unrelated often come together when you dig deep enough to find the ties that bind. Although what can be overwhelming and often glossed over is the vast amount of knowledge a person needs to put these odd pieces in the proper context. Because what good is a NASA investigator who knows nothing about ancient Egyptian mythology? How valuable is a ufologist who's never studied the occult? And can a person really decode Hollywood symbolism accurately without cracking open a book on Kabbalah? My point is that true conspiracy research is a vast and interdisciplinary undertaking that few people are willing to follow through to its deepest depths. But lucky for us, today's returning guest, Chris Knowles, is one of the respectable few who is. Chris is the author of several great books, including Our Gods Wear Spandex, The Secret History of Comic Book Heroes, and The Secret History of Rock and Roll, The Mysterious Roots of Modern Music. And of course, he's been decoding the esoteric themes of pop culture and parapolitics for years on his blog, The Secret Son. You know him, you love him. Chris, my man, welcome back to The Higher Side. Oh, it's great
1: to be here, Greg. Always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm psyched to have you here. Thanks for doing it. You've been diving down quite a few underexplored rabbit holes on your blog these past few months, from Bell Labs Dirty Laundry to the lesser known MK Often Project. And you always get me thinking differently about a lot of these things.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I try to do. I mean, I try to look at, you know, when people are marching down one avenue, I try to look and see where the side streets are, you know, Mm -hmm. and where they lead. And it's paid off in interesting ways, especially this year. I mean, um, this is kind of an all bets are off year. Huh? Yes. Uh, in so many ways, it's like so many of like the strangest, uh, most off the wall theories and speculations that, that we've had almost seem like, uh, conservative in some ways. I mean, it's so much high strangeness is bubbling to the surface Uh, yet again. It definitely reminds me of that period uh, during the first Bush administration when so much, you know, you had the Franklin scandal come to light. You had things like Waco and Ruby Ridge. You had, uh, you know, the emergence of hacker culture you had the, the the wars over political correctness and identity politics you had uh the the wars in the middle east so many of these themes and threads that emerged almost 30 years ago now and are not only back but they've kind of metastasized i mean they've they've kind of grown beyond anyone's wildest imaginings i mean hacker culture i i think it's very much a, a central story to this election and um you know i have my own theories on that I, I you know i i don't believe that that all these leaks that we're seeing are are the work of um russian hackers i think that's absurd right and i don't believe that they're the work of just like some guy in his basement you know munching on cheetos and drinking mountain dew i think you no know, that's equally absurd i think that this is a time like that era that point in the in the timeline as Gordon White would say <laughs> where the machinations of the secret world emerge that pop up from their underground lairs from their you know their mile deeps underground cities and and whatnot
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: and 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 look around and move the the chess pieces around the board a bit. <laughs> right. I think that's really what we're seeing, but it, it's just astonishing to me that we're seeing so many themes that feel so almost shop worn to me. Yeah. Like an, like an old pair of jeans almost play out in, in such a way. And not only in a parapolitical sense, but you know, so many of the, Ideas that say, uh, science fiction futurist like, uh, William Gibson was putting forth, you know, this whole idea of, uh, the super rich trying to break away, you know, particularly Silicon Valley trying to break away from reality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're actually trying to hack reality now. It's, it's, I mean, they've become so delusional and so dislocated from you know the, the the money and power. It always it always creates, I, I think, a psychotic state of mind. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's that's a story as old as time. Right. But also the power of hacking, not only these deep state players that we've seen, but just that none of your secrets are safe from determined cyber thieves and things like that. That hacking wars are going to become. A major story, you know, we had the Obama administration say, oh, here we come, Ruskies, put up your dupes. We're going to be, uh, you know, declaring cyber war on you. You know, here we come. You know, I mean, it was just, it was an absurd story. It was just, it was a story created to, to perpetuate this uh, illusion that, that the, the leaks were all coming from Russia,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but it does speak to this deeper reality. So, I mean, to make a very long story short, all these themes that i've been watching for a very long time are now becoming dominant they're now becoming major news breakers. absolutely and that's i think that's part of the the tapestry of this year but also the underbelly of that you know of, of the hints you know that we also saw you know when the whole thing with the, uh, the midnight runs to the White House made the front page of the Washington times during the first Bush administration. I, I think we're seeing a, a repeat of that with these, these, uh, pizza parlors and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it may well never, you know, the zit may never pop publicly. Right. But I think what we're seeing is very intense power politics play out in, in, in a semi public fashion. I agree with you. So it's it's just really amazing because again the, the currents here are not the currents that you know Joe and Jane Q Public think that they're watching. I mean, what we're seeing is that we're seeing deep state technology, we're seeing secret machinations, we're seeing the occult, we're seeing you know the the sexual demi monde uh, and and the artistic demi monde sort of combined in, in this very strange fashion.
0: Right, spirit cooking and all that?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, it's uh oh, it's, you know, and and the thing that I pointed out there was even worse in the, the spirit cooking, which is repugnant enough. I mean, everybody's focusing on the this whole cakes of light kind of idea that she put but that whole performance where she's she has this crouching statue of a of a of a, of a child and she's Drenching it in pig's blood. It's psychotic. It's sadistic. It's beyond psychopathic. It's, uh, repugnant. But the, um, installation that she did in Germany where she bakes these very realistic cakes in the shapes of naked women and then she invites all these shishi nightclub people to essentially cannibalize them. You know, and this, this is, it reminds me of the kind of escalating behavior that you see among serial killers with, they don't just Mm -hmm. wake up one morning and decide to rape and mutilate some woman and, and, you know, cook her fingers or something, you know, it's like, there's a series of steps that, that lead them to that. And, and, and that whole, that whole performance seemed to me like an invitation to that mindset. It was just so repugnant. Uh, it's just, Beyond imagining that, that this person has some sort of cachet in the legitimate art world because it's, it's so obvious, uh, <laughs> psychotic, um, mis, misogynist, misanthropic, you know, adjectives fail you. It's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. beyond imagining. You can't believe that you're watching it.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. These definitely are interesting times. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have been keeping up with the Peaks Behind the Veil that you're referring to, but to give them some context, of course, we have the Pizzagate child trafficking scandal, where Best of Pizza seems to be a type of hub for this activity. And then, of course, this Marina Abramovic artist who's doing all these cannibal cake dinners and real dark blood and semen-based rituals, palling around with the Clinton team and the Hollywood elite, all coming out of the Podesta email leaks. And there's still quite a bit of digging to be done. But in terms of the election, I mean, in my lifetime, I've only seen the baton handed from Bush to Clinton to Bush to Obama, which is basically the Clinton network again. And I was pretty surprised that it didn't go to Hillary. It is kind of exciting to see what at least seems on the surface to be a shock to the system. And it makes me think that some higher level of the power pyramid has discarded the Clinton network and aired enough dirty laundry of theirs that they're going to have a really hard time getting any footing at this point. So, at least that might be a good thing. Well, it's interesting because I
1: I you know, I might be jaundiced and jaded at this point in time. And, you know, I I'm sure a lot of Trump fans are going to be upset about this, but I see him basically as uh you know, an anchorman and that somebody else is writing the news. Yeah. You know, that there are players beyond our view that we can't really see what's happening. I'm, you know, I'm getting a very strange vibe and I can't really tell you exactly what I think is happening, but all I can say is that the, the the aftermath of this election is unlike any, any, which I've seen in the past, there is an eerie calm that has sort of descended upon Washington. Uh, I mean, is everybody lawyering up? Uh, you know, just the fact, uh, <laughs> as we speak today, yesterday, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was just scrapped. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, trade agreement that had been worked on for a number of years by very, very powerful players, uh, they just drop it just like that. Uh, very strange
0: are they changing the playbook
1: yeah i i, I really don't know i don't really you know this gets into a, la- a layer of speculation that would require a whole different set of rules you know of engagement here i think that something very fundamental has changed I don't know what's going to replace it. We have no idea with what could replace it It could be much worse. We don't know yet. Um, but I think that much more than an election was lost to certain parties. And I don't mean political parties. I mean to certain parties of interest. I just get a very strange sense that something much deeper is going on and it's probably something that is going to come out, but I just want to be. Put on the record today as of 11-11, 16, huh. that I think that we saw something much more than an election. We saw a, a very profound shift in power. And I can't say whether that's a good thing or not. Right. Because we don't know who the players are. But just the fact, you know, that I keep telling people that the fact that People like John Podesta and George Soros and Hillary Clinton were, were basically batted around like uh, kittens with a ball of string, with all this hacking and all these revelations. And you know, and, you know, even if the media didn't cover it, they knew that the media wasn't going to cover it. I don't think the point was to have this stuff come out like Watergate, because they knew whoever is orchestrating these revelations knew that that, that the media is Basically the propaganda wing of the Democratic Party. We know this because of the journalist, journalist uh, revelations that have come out. And we know this because of the uh, DNC leaks where, you know, people from major news sites like uh, Politico and everything are are basically acting as stenographers for the the Clinton campaign and things like that. So I don't think they were expecting this to uh, end up as the new Watergate. I think that they were just basically serving notice to their targets that their secrets are not safe, and hence they themselves are not safe. I think that there was a, a definite agenda that, that we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. So, uh and again, it's something that I can only speculate on, I could be totally wrong, <laughs> but you don't get away with hacking somebody who's crashed the economies of entire nation's You know, it just doesn't happen. These Mm -hmm. things just don't happen. We're seeing things that aren't supposed to happen, happen. You know what I mean? And this whole thing, you know, this whole, I mean, I was watching Bill Maher the other night and like this whole like red scare, Russians did this, the Russians did that. They, they, Bill Maher is an idiot. So he might actually believe that the Russians are responsible for this, Mm -hmm. but there's no way there is no way I, I would bet my, my house on this. That the people in positions of real power, believe that the, the Russians had anything to do with this i just there's just no way right so but it's interesting because this ties into you know what we are going to talk about this whole idea of technology as a Trojan horse mm-hmm. and that's sort of the undercurrent uh, all along in this uh, that series that I had done quite accidentally. Uh I didn't intend to that for that to become a series. It just it just happened. I mean, let me just uh, preface this. I mean we're talking about a series that I that I, I called uh, Lucifer's Technologies. Right. And what it actually started as was just a filler post. I just needed I just I hadn't posted for a couple of days and I needed to just put up a post, so I thought I'll just post on this you know, this dopey Fox TV show about you know based on the Lucifer graphic novels, which I was, you know, a fan of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, something was just bugging me. Something was just itching at me. And uh, it just grew and grew and grew and grew.
0: Right. I, I definitely love that series. <laughs> and it gets deeper and deeper as it progresses. But to yeah, this, well, let me just say this, of all the information that I put out there,
1: I mean, there's so much more that I didn't. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that when I post you know, I edit very heavily. I try to get to the core, but there is a lot of information, you know, supplemental information, explanatory information, a lot of information that I, I feel to really get at this story and to really get the, the message across to people, it really needs to be a book. Mm. So <laughs> I think, you know, at, at some point, I mean, I haven't published a book in in in, in a while. And there, there are a lot of good reasons for that. A lot of it has to do with my schedule, with my day job, but a lot of it just has to do with the reality of the publishing world, which is pretty grim. Right. And a lot of it just has to do with when you deal with a with an actual publisher. I've heard. Oh, I mean, it's it's brutal the amount of hoops that you have to jump through, even with a, like what you would think would be a relatively accommodating independent publisher in some ways they're even worse Mm -hmm. but the point is is that that series which turned out to be rather large and then i did a spin-off series where i wanted to sort of dig into the actual origin of the lucifer archetype because most people sort of stop most people sort of stop at a certain point sort of the greco-roman era and some reason I was sensing very strongly that it goes much farther back, mm-hmm. that it has nothing to do with devils or demonology, that there's, you know, a number of different reasons why it became that way, but that, you know, at the core of it, there was a very powerful idea that is essentially a secret tradition and that the reality of this tradition has been kept from us right and and how do we know this how do we know that there, you know anybody you know that sounds like just kind of all alt research <laughs> hyperbole right
0: Yeah. how do we make that case
1: well we make that case because when we see the shreds of information that we do have on this figure it's like you know, this figure, his, his mind is greater than all the gods. You know, he is the first, he is the first born son of God. Uh, you know, he eats before the other gods eat. Yeah. The descriptions, the, the, the language that's used to describe this figure is so exalted. And you know, the prayer is made to this God. It's like, I will worship you above all other gods. You, you're my only God. You know, all this kind of thing. It's like, this is history's first recorded monotheism in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been erased, like it's literally been erased. I think that it's very possible that all these things we're seeing in the Middle East where they're destroying archeological sites, where they're destroying museums and things like that might have something to do with covering up this history. Yeah, I mean, that's an extraordinary claim, right? <laughs> that the- I, I, and I do, and I, the first to admit that I do not have the extraordinary evidence to back that up. But I'm just saying that when you go by the few scraps of extant material that we have on this figure, it's like, wait a second. This is the kind of stuff that, I mean, literally the language that you would read like early Christians writing about Jesus is written about this figure. And you're just like, what is going on mm-hmm. here? and nobody else has written about this. Mm-hmm. So this is why this will probably be another book. <laughs> anyway, but um you know it's just, it's it's fascinating to me that this whole idea seems to be resonating with people in, in in an interesting way that that you have the Lucifer TV series but you also have this whole corpus of of luciferian conspiracy theory which you know I've discovered over the years is really based on absolutely nothing. Hmm. There's actually no evidence. There's no literature. There's no traces of actual Luciferian groups or shrines or temples or liturgy. I mean, there's absolutely, you you will Hmm. see that term used again and again and again and again you know, particularly in uh the conspiracy realm. And everyone assumes that it has some historical basis. But the fact of it is, is that it has absolutely no historical basis at all. I'm not kidding. And, you know, I mean, there is Satanism. Satanism is a very real thing. It has a history. It has a tradition. It It, it goes back a long way. But there is nothing to justify any of that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and you know, people are gonna be shocked to hear that. They're gonna think that can't be true. Huh. That cannot be true. People are gonna think that there's no possibility that that, that what I'm saying is true. Uh-huh. But it, it is true. And they'll say, Oh well what about Albert Pike and what about Madame Blavatsky and what about Alice Bailey and things like that. I mean yeah and I'll say, you know, yeah, what about them? I mean so what? I mean, they, you know, they, two of them are theosophists, one is a Freemason. You know what I mean? The Luciferian quotes attributed to to Pike are, are proven hoaxes by a, a French satirist named Leo Taxel. Hmm. And it's interesting, it's like, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to advocate quote unquote Luciferianism, A, because I don't believe that it actually exists, but I'm just saying that this whole entire sphere of conspiracy thinking has no historical basis at all.
3: Hmm.
1: And most people don't even understand that. But there is this other idea that you see emerge that has to do with figures like Prometheus, that has to do with figures like The Watchers, that has a lot to do with technology and it has a lot to do with like forbidden technology, the technology is forbidden. And the reason why technology has been forbidden and why we see technology forbidden, you know, in religious texts and whatnot, is that it was regarded as a existential threat to church and state essentially, because it, it was, I mean, as we've seen, it was actually an existential threat to the monarchies of, of Europe. No, into the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. A lot of their undoing was the result of technological advancement.
0: It was, and this was one of my big takeaways from this part of the Lucifer Technology series: is we do see a lot of those same themes in ancient texts, some of the same story patterns around the idea of a revolt against "quote unquote" God, or whatever the real authority was their day. And there are a lot of opinions on how to interpret this, who's good and who's really bad. But I like this line where you say this war in heaven was rebellion against the first recorded attempt to create a new world order, so to speak an insurrection that was ultimately successful despite the spin texts like the book of Enoch or paradise Lost might put on it. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It seems like the rebels have been demonized, no pun intended since the beginning of time. Well, understand – see, here's the thing. People
1: in previous centuries did not think the way we thought. They thought the church and state were reflections of heavenly power. And if you go against the power of the church and the state, you are rebelling against God. God. Yeah. Right?
0: That was their mindset. That's the way, I mean,
1: okay, so listen, when the Orthodox Church schismed away from the Catholic Church, they were demonized as Satanists. When the Protestants schismed away from the Catholics, they were regarded as Satanists. John Calvin, a well-known Protestant leader, dealt with any dissent or disagreement with his policies by labeling his Enemies as Satanists, you know, we saw this with the witch hunts. We saw this, you know, in Salem because once upon a time, humanity believed that church and state were reflections of heaven, Mm -hmm. that on earth as it is in heaven, that there was the divine right of kings, that kings would, were ordained by God, you know, that the church was literally The vicar of Christ, that they were literally the representations of the heavenly kingdom on earth. So if you question that or you usurp that or you threaten that, you are by definition satanic. You are a a representation of the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Right. It's a nice trick they had played on everybody. So
1: this is how this all filters down this is what I did is I just worked my way back. And a lot of the work that I put on the blog was just sort of like the notes. I I have a lot more work that I've been doing outside of the blog. So again, this is going to be a book, but this is how we trace it back. Okay. So we're going to look at, you know, this whole idea of, of Lucifer as the uh, light bearer. Now that comes from Prometheus. Now, what did Prometheus do? Prometheus, um, rebelled against Zeus, Zeus, the sky god, Zeus, you know, the, the representation of the heavenly order. Mm-hmm. But Prometheus was also credited with creating human beings, with, with teaching them the arts of civilization. I mean, he's one of these sort of ancient aliens kind of figures.
2: You know what I mean? I <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah.
1: His whole history is all about as the patron of humanity, but this is the interesting thing: is that I traced his story back. That there's a a school of thinking that argues quite compellingly that his origin is pre-Greek, and that a lot of figures that we see as Greek are actually pre-Greek. And what I believe quite strongly, and I and very and I will literally go to the mat for this, is that Prometheus is a Deified Sumerian king, okay? Mm -hmm. And a Sumerian king who was deposed by a figure called Sargon the Great. So what you had is that you had the, you know, the kingdom of Sumer. And this is really interesting because this is ties, you know, you can get as weird as you really want to because (laughs) this is the Anunnaki, this is all that kind of stuff, right? Right. Alright, so Sumer was Sumer had a problem is that it was a, it was a collection of city states and they were constantly fighting with each other because, you know, they only had so much water. They only had so much arable land. They had a lot of problems. So they were constantly battling with each other. And a king came along, a Sumerian king came along and said, listen, we have to all create a confederation here because We're very vulnerable, which turned out to be true. We're very vulnerable to attack from outside. And what he did is that he created basically a unified Sumer. And what happened is that one of his allies was an Akkadian, and Akkadians were sort of like this parallel civilization to the north. And their leader, Sargon, betrayed the Sumerian king and conquered his kingdom which was unified sumer and actually led him to the the you know the gate of the gods in chains just you know exactly the way that prometheus was so there are all these um, if you, you know, if you read the stories if you parallel the stories together you see all these very interesting connections between this character who whose name was lugal Zagazi and prometheus and if you really want to get, get down to it, you start to see that maybe Sargon the Great was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And there are very interesting reasons for that. So, I mean, there's all these very interesting, because don't forget, that this is the first organized civilization in that part of the world that have extensive libraries. I mean, you had people from other parts of the world coming to Babylon to study because they, they were the people who had the library, right? Uh You didn't have libraries in Rome, you didn't have libraries in Greece yet. You know what I mean? This is where you went to study because this was the, the center of civilization. So this is why so many of the stories, you know, Sargon becomes Moses. You know, that, that so many of the stories that we think are part of Moses's biography are actually part of Sargon's biography. But, but the long and short of this is that Sargon wanted to create a new world order. He wanted to create a kingdom that spread, he said, you know, from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean Sea. He wanted to conquer the entire known world. And what, what, what I believe very strongly happened is that the Sumerians, the Sumerians who were deposed by this invasion went north. They went north to the gold mines in the Georgian mountains, which had been around for at least 6,000 years. And that's, this is how they financed their, you know, their insurrection against Sargon because their insurrection is against Sargon. I think Sargon had two or three heirs and then the Sumerians took power again. And that was, it's called uh, the Sumerian Renaissance. So I think all this, was told and retold and all this kind of thing over the years. And you know, the long and short of this is that this is where these stories became Prometheus. And later on Prometheus is told and retold and he becomes Lucifer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. But it all ties back to this rebellion against Sargon the Great. Now, The reason why I feel so strongly about this is that Sargon's daughter was a poet. And what she did is that she wrote all these poems in the voice of the the goddess Inanna. And Inanna is sort of the, she's the equivalent of goddesses like Ishtar and and Aphrodite and everything like that. But she is saying, you rebels up there in the mountains of, of northern Iraq, you are going against God. You are rebelling against God. You are not just rebelling against Sargon, the usurper, the Akkadian who's, who's overtaking Sumeria. You are going against the wishes of the gods. The gods hate you. The gods will strike you down. The gods, you know, are against you. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm getting mm-hmm, at here? Mm-hmm.
0: Lucifer could almost be equated to a figure that uses technology to subvert the established power center.
1: That's exactly what it is because because what what's going on is that these stories get told and retold and the rebellious Sumerian kings become the watchers. How do we know this? Because what does Sumer mean? It means land of the watchers. Do
3: hmm.
1: you see what I'm saying? I very strongly believe that the titans of, of Greek mythology were also these Sumerian kings. Why do I believe that? Because the Sumerian kings were called Lugals. Okay. What does Lugal mean? It means giant. It means titan. It's the same word. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So these connections are really not very hard to find. So the point I'm trying to make here, and this might sound like complete, you know, argle bargle to most people, but this whole idea that has been passed down, you know, with the midwife being Christian fundamentalism, which is the source of so much modern conspiracy thinking, more than most people are willing to admit. Um, This whole idea of this whole, you know, this whole Luciferian, all this kind of thing, is in fact the exact opposite of what it originally means through figures like Prometheus. You know, and this is not conjecture here. I mean, all you have to do is read the Promethean myths. I mean, Prometheus is rebelling against Zeus's heavenly rule. He's doing so on behalf of humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's rebelling against the gods who are tyrants on behalf of humanity. So I'm I'm not just making things up out of thin air here. I'm just saying that there's a much deeper origin to all this. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I see it. It makes sense when you lay it all out like that how can we take that template or these connections between Lucifer and technology and kind of bring them out of the ancient scriptures and into like the last hundred years?
1: Well, this is where things get weird. I mean, this, you know, I mean, how weird do you want to get?
0: <laughs> Let's ramp it well, up. It to ten. Like,
1: how, how weird do you want to get? I mean, <laughs> because here's the thing. It's like the figure who is called Lucifer in the Bible is actually Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. And Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king who conquered Israel and took the Jews or some of the Jews. He, he took like all the, the scribes and the doctors, you know, he took all the sign. It was like, you know, it was almost like a kind of a brain drain, let's say. Right. Um, he took all the, the, the people that you want.
0: The operation paperclip of its day.
1: He didn't take the farmers. He didn't take the, uh, shepherds. He took people like Daniel. So then you have this whole thing with the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, like what the hell is that all about? I mean, that's a very strange story. What's the mythological, you know, if you're going to get all Joseph Campbell about that, like what, what psychological impulse does the, you know, the fiery furnace and then this other figure shows up and everything like that. Like what psychological impulse does that serve? You know (laughs) what I mean? It's like, this is where I really break with the Jungians. you had this figure of Lucifer, who is in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, is actually Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Now, the interesting thing about this is that, where else did we hear about Nebuchadnezzar? We heard about Nebuchadnezzar during the Iraq War, because Saddam Hussein believed himself to be the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. okay? And... What happened as soon as troops pulled into Iraq? They made a beeline for the Iraqi National Museum. Why? (laughs) Well, gee, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that all the Sumerian tablets went missing and that only a third of them have been recovered, you know, 13 years later. What's that about? Like, why do you do that? Right. Think about that for a minute. You know, we've heard that story so many times that we take it for granted and it just becomes part of the, the high weirdness conspiracy wallpaper. No, stop. Stop just a minute. You're invading a country, you know, with all this oil wealth and all the rest of it. I'm going to, you know, let you in on a little secret. We really haven't gotten that much oil out of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Iraq, its military posed no threat To Israel or to anybody else, it's military was a paper tiger. They knew they had no weapons of mass destruction. We knew that that whole campaign was fiction, was Hollywood, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what actually happened? What actually happened is that the first thing they do is they make a beeline to the museum. And what's this alleged terrorist group ISIS doing? You know, it's like, they too are looting all these artifacts. What is so important about these artifacts? Right. You know what I mean? Here's the problem. I'm, I'm going to tell you a problem. And I, I just want to get back to the election about this. Because in my, my latest post, I talked about maybe Hillary was targeted. Maybe John Podesta was targeted. And maybe it had something to do with the fact that Back in March, Hillary said, Oh, we're going to open up the secrets of Area 51. We're going to, you know, finally get to the, the bottom of what these UFOs are all about. Hmm. And you think, Oh, you know, everybody's eyes were all, Oh, come on, you know. And then people like Richard Dolan will say, Well, she's going after the UFO vote. It's like, what UFO vote? <laughs> like, yes, seriously, yeah. the UFO vote? And right. like, you know, John Podesta has been, he's, he's, he's been on this, uh, this whole hobby horse for a long time now. It has nothing to do with reptilians. It has nothing to do with Zeta reticuli. It has to do with the black budget world. Mm -hmm. It has to do with secret aircraft. It has to do with the secret space program. It has to do with when these politicians get lippy and step outside their little (laughs) square. They get spanked. They get spanked. And it's been happening since JFK because Ten days before JFK was assassinated, he wrote a memo saying, I want, you know, whatever secrets we have about UFO technology released and shared with the Russians. It's like, oh yeah, that's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? And right. it's like every time one of these politicians messes with this issue, they run into a wall of misfortune. Mm-hmm.
0: And talk like to us more clockwork. about that pattern. Okay.
1: About this pattern, do you mean?
0: Right. I mean, because there's a lot more than just JFK and now Clinton. There's other people who've run into the same problem, right? Well, here's how it
1: goes. So JFK was messing around with this stuff, you know, and then we had people like Dorothy Kilgallen who ended up dead like so many other people involved with the the JFK situation And she was not only looking into the JFK assassination, she was also looking into the UFO situation, and she winds up dead. Gerald Ford was Speaker of the House in the late 1960s, and he got a lot of complaints about the way the Air Force had treated a series of uh, UFO flaps in his home state of Michigan and ordered congressional hearings on the subject. Which eventually led to the, uh, the Condon committee in the University of Colorado, which, you know, turned out to be a, a total whitewash, but he made the effort. And I mean, the timeline is a little shaky, but I've been told that the big UFO document dump that we saw in the seventies was actually begun under his administration. Hmm. So, you know, all those documents that that really created UFO cons- conspiracy. I mean, the whole UFO conspiracy world that was so prevalent in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the door was really slammed shut after 9-11, came about because of all these documents that were released because of the Free- Freedom of Information Act. Now, I, again, everyone credits Carter with that, but I've been told by a prominent UFO skeptic Who's also a scholar of the phenomenon that it was actually Ford who was involved in this. Now, the interesting thing about Ford is that Ford had two assassination attempts, one of which was by a Manson family member. Uh, I mean, what are the odds of that? Hmm. And the other one was by a woman who was obsessed with the uh, Sibianese Liber- Liberation Army, which takes us back to Project Often, uh, MK Often. Yes. And arguably as does you know, the Manson family. I mean, I would argue that the Manson family is more an, an MK Often project than an MK ultra uh, project.
0: And talk to us about the difference there. Cause I don't think a lot of listeners will have heard of MK Often yet.
1: Well, I, I will in just a moment, but let me just, you know, continue this timeline that okay. you had asked about. So, so Gerald Ford, you know, he does this and, and boom, two assassination attempts. J- Jimmy Card is very outspoken on the topic. And then he gets hit with the whole Iran. Hostages issue. And it turns out there was a lot of chicanery with intelligence services making sure that the hostages weren't released before the election. Reagan's a little iffy, but you know, Clinton is really activist on this issue, orders uh, an investigation of the Roswell incident, doesn't like the results, orders another one, and then he's impeached. There's a congressman from New Mexico who also gets involved in this. Dies of cancer shortly after he orders an investigation of the financial records of Roswell at age 51. So now we have Hillary, who was very outspoken about this issue on the campaign trail, much to the mocking of the press and whatnot. But I think that she knew what she was really talking about. And I think Podesta knew what he was really talking about. They were talking about sticking their nose in the black budget world. And they got they got spanked, the two of them, <laughs> like badly. I mean, right. you know, they lost the election first of all, and uh, you know, there may be more to come. You know, certainly Podesta's been humiliated. I mean, when the the Washington Post has to say, "No, John Podesta doesn't drink blood and urine at, with his dinner or something," <laughs> in a headline, you know that it's bad. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know that things are, are much much worse behind the scenes. So. um, People hear UFOs, and they've been so conditioned by the disinformation program to think silliness, but they should really be thinking secret aircraft, black budgets, black ops, mm-hmm. things like that, and and they don't. And a lot of people in the conspiracy world think they're going to appear more serious if they make fun of UFOs and stuff, but they don't realize how important the subject really is and how many of the like say disinfo techniques that are used across the board now were first perfected on the ufo community i mean it's it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing
0: in a nutshell you think that these cover stories where we're told about aliens from zeta reticuli might really be covering up something that's more seeped in the occult right
1: I think it's all of the above to be honest with you. I'm like an a, a both and person. I think I I mean you know, I don't believe personally I don't believe in extra solar aliens. I don't believe that we're dealing with aliens coming from zeta reticuli. I just don't believe it. You know, I know that you know they're saying oh well now the EM drive is possible and things like that. But um I think that and I've been saying this for several years now, is that I think what we call aliens are, are what I call our uh elusive companions. Mm-hmm. And it's not just me that's saying this. I mean this is something that Charles Ford said a hundred years ago. I mean I'm even kind of iffy on the whole uh hyperdimensional way of thinking, because I think those effects could just as easily be explained by exotic cloaking technology. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very complex I think a lot of it is just hokum and nonsense you know maybe even most of it um but the stuff that isn't is a very complex tapestry of things that will keep people up at night if they really think about it seriously <laughs> So no I mean that I mean that with all you know with all seriousness Of course I mean uh- my family and I had like um uh, an orb sighting last year we were coming up the uh the highway into New Hampshire and we just crossed the border and we saw these two orange orbs basically harassing uh, a private plane that just taken off from the airport. I mean, this thing was, I don't know, maybe a thousand feet over our head. So we got a really good look at this and we were just shocked. Hmm. And we saw these things and we're like, I I mean, personally, I was like, that's not aircraft. That's not technology. That's, I don't know what the hell that is, but these things have been seen. You know, since the Middle Ages.
0: Elusive companions.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, God knows what we're talking about. It's, it's just, it's crazy. But a lot of it is black ops and black projects. And uh, I think that that's probably the stuff that, that gets a lot of UFO uh, investigators killed.
0: Right. But, and that's where we get into the tie in to magic, because at the heart of the black projects, we see all this kind of symbolism and this strange naming from ancient sources. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. The, the, the lines of demarcation are very blurry. It's the other thing that I sort of just discovered with the, the Lucifer's technology series. And, you know, that's one of the things I discovered when I was looking to Roswell. You know, Roswell has always sort of bothered me because the standard UFO narrative doesn't really work for me. And the debunker explanations don't really work for me. But here's the thing, and, and I don't think a lot of people understand this that don't read ancient mythology is that there's a very long and illustrious tradition of like things crashing to earth and strange creatures getting out of them and interacting with people and giving them technology. Mm -hmm. This isn't just like ancient aliens, wild misinterpretations of ancient texts. I mean, you know, the thing that really ties into Roswell is the myth of Cadmus. Yes. Now, why is Cadmus important? You know, Cadmus was a Phoenician, okay? And the plains of St. Augustine, where the alleged crash actually took place, and, and again, I don't believe it was actually a crash. I think it was a ritual. Um, I think this was all ritual, w- are um exactly parallel with Baalbek, which was in ancient Phoenicia. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Right. 34th parallel, right?
1: Yeah. So there's like, okay, well, why is that not only like roughly parallel, but exactly like on the, on the nose up to the second parallel? How does that happen? And this whole thing, like Roswell, hmm. Well, what does that mean? Well, Cadmus, one of his myths is that he raided the well of Mars and he slayed uh, the dragon. The dragon of Mars. And he used the teeth from the dragon of Mars to create a race of superhumans. So we're kind of looking at like, what, you know, what does this story mean? The well of Mars, uh, dragon, you know, it's all this very loaded symbology here.
0: Mars, the red planet.
1: Yeah. You know, raw, red, raws, rose, well. Okay, so, oh well, that's interesting. Well, maybe that's just coincidental. Except that here's the problem. Is that Cadmus, he was initiated into the, into the arts of, uh, technology, let's just say, by the great gods of Samothrace. They have a a number of different names. The Kabiri, the, uh, Telchines, the, um, dactyls. I mean, they were known by a number of different names, but they were the sons of Hephaestus and they crashed to Samothrace in in what was called a meteor. You know, they were inside a meteor that crashed on an island. And then they set up this temple where people came to study the arts of You know the mystery cults. I don't use the term mystery school because mystery school is a term that was coined by Alice Bailey. Uh, It's actually not a historically accurate term. There, there were no actual mystery schools. There were mystery cults. But any you know, it's it's a it's semantic argument. But it's just something that always kind of bugs me because it's an Alice Baileyism. Right. But anyway. But the point is, is that okay? So not only is Cadmus linked to a red well, a rose well. He's also linked to this spacecraft that crashed Earth and was filled with these, what can only really be called alien creatures. I mean, There's been a number of different descriptions of them, but they were said to have pincers for hands. Sometimes they were described as crab-like beings. Sometimes they were described as men with pincers. Sometimes they were described as men with pincers and dog heads. Uh, You know, I know uh, Gordon White has talked a lot about the whole idea of dog heads. Hmm. So now here's the interesting thing. So later on, there is a lot of speculation that Bell Laboratories acquired the technology for the Transistor, which of course enabled everything that we are familiar with today. You know, it enabled solid state technology. It enabled, uh, computer technology, everything after that Mm -hmm. by a discovery on, you know, a quote unquote crash spaceship at Roswell. The timeline is fascinating because you had the crash at Roswell and, uh, what five months later, six months later, a team uh connected to Vannevar Bush, who is definitively connected to a group that was charged with studying UFO technology. So his team, and he was also the chairman of the board of AT&T, which owned Bell Labs. I mean, the connections here can make your head spin. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that Bell Labs are the people who Give us the transistor, the first transistor, okay? Bell Labs lady becomes Lucent Technology. Everybody thinks this is a nod to Lucifer, okay? No. Lucent is the same word as Cadmus. See what I'm saying? Hmm. It's like Lucent actually could just as well be called Cadmus Technologies. Before Bell Labs became Lucent, the last major uh, uh, computer program was called Plan Nine
0: from Bell Labs,
1: mm-hmm. and its mascot was was an alien.
0: A connection to the seance that channeled the nine, maybe Arthur Young was in that group, and he worked for Bell Labs.
1: Yeah, and, and exactly. So, like, literally, you need a spreadsheet, like a flowchart,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to make all these connections. But let me just boil this all down for people because. They're probably just like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Basically, there is a very strong and definitive connection between what is not just mythology, you know, not just like what you see on ancient aliens where they just take like sort of random myths and say, well, what they really meant was that it was a spaceship, you know, uh, not, no, not that. I'm talking about mystery cult where you had to be initiated. This was all secret between mystery, cult, symbolism, quote unquote, alien technology and phenomena, and then high technology. And then this combination is now bleeding over into our politics. Now, here's the thing. I began writing about this and I didn't even know why, but I believe very strongly that this all bled over into our political arena in a big, bad way. I mean, I haven't sort of nailed this down, this connection down. I will in my next post. But Hillary stuck her nose. She basically stuck her nose in in Area 51, and they cut it off for her. (sighs) You know what I'm saying? And that's basically what happened here.
0: And she was someone that you would have thought, I think a lot of people in their rudimentary understanding of of these things would have thought that she was... Kind of above that.
1: You know what? This is, this is what scares me. Like literally, because there's obviously a a, a higher level above, you know, the the Bushes and the Clintons and the Soroses and all these other people. There's obviously somebody who can take a stroll through George Soros' email and put it up on the internet without any repercussions whatsoever. Right. Who has the power to do that? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I mean, when you begin to think about that, it's rather frightening.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the interesting thing is, is that um, when Lucent changed over, oh, when AT, when Bell Labs changed over to Lucent, my wife was actually working there. So I was driving, you know, we only had one car at the time, so I was dropping her off there all the time, and I was sort of like picking up that vibe. But um talk about the, uh, the political world sort of, um bleeding over here. Kali Fiorina, who ran for the Republican nomination for president, was, I, I think she's the one to blame. I think she's basically the one who destroyed Lucent Technologies. Like, we had had Lucent stock. And I, and at one point it was like, I think it was like $66 and I told my wife, cause this is when the dot com crash and everything was happening, I told my wife, I said, cash out on that stock now. And she's like, well, I heard it's going up to 99. I said, no, cash out on it now. And like a month later, it was like at nine cents or something.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah. It was, it was, it was brutal. So, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I was really familiar with that stuff <laughs> from the inside, uh, as, as much as possible. Right. And it's, and it's really interesting too, because I mean, Lucent is owned by, um, Nokia now. And, you know, it just goes to show you that the, you know, that whole world of international corporate power is so incestuous and so transnational. Yeah. You know, this is the power behind globalism.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not this kumbaya, we're all going to be brothers kind of business. It's, it's all about the fact that these corporations are all transnational; that they they don't respect international borders. They find national borders to be
0: a nuisance.
1: A, a nuisance, and 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 it's interesting too because Bernie Sanders was very frank about this. I guess before he got the talk, you know, he said this whole open borders uh, business. This is the Koch brothers. This isn't, you know, this isn't liberalism. This is right. this is uh, Wall Street. So.
0: They want to consume everything until there's just one thing.
1: Yeah, they just, you know, it's like a drain and drop program. This has just been a really fascinating year because so many of the the streams that I've been studying, all the little side streets that I've been exploring, have become like the main street.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I don't know how much of it is taken seriously by other researchers. I think that a lot of people still look in. Particular directions, but you know the thing was the, with the models that I work with, they're predictive. It's like I know where things are going to go because I see the patterns from past events.
0: Mm-hmm. I just wanted to close the uh the Roswell loop real quick. So, sure, we have this uh this ancient story of Cadmus and the Well of Souls. We have Roswell being the on well the, of Mars. Or, I'm well sorry, of Mars. The, the Well yeah. of Mars slip, yeah. uh, and then we have the 34th parallel, which is the same. Where, as we see Baalbek, and it—it's just—it's odd. I mean, it seems like they're trying to set up conditions to mirror ancient texts or ancient stories. Is that the indication that you get?
1: Well, I think that's always the indication. It's, right. Um, you know what? Uh, what I what I call getting their attention. You know what I mean? It's it's pulling off big events and signing you know the names of various figures that you're trying to appeal to. It's basically the modus operandi of the space program. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why, why on earth would you call that program Osiris Rex? It's the most tortured uh, acronym I think I've ever seen in my life. It's a, it's, it's absurd. But it's like, no, we have to call this Osiris Rex. We'll make it fit. You know what I mean? Right. I think the same thing with the Lucifer telescope. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like they want to call upon these powers they want to channel this energy and part of it is this naming and this goes back i mean this goes back to the whole idea of names you know yeah. what i mean i mean you name something you name somebody something or something or place the, the whole idea of naming to begin with was 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 a you know a, a way a magical art of accruing power you know what i'm saying it's like I am running fox. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you want to be speedy. You want to be stealthy. You want to have that energy. You know what right. I'm saying? It's like, I am proud bull, you know,
0: trying to invoke those characteristics.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, it, exactly what you, you put your, your finger on the button there. It's, it's the art of invocation. I believe that this whole thing with Roswell, like, why would you put, you know, all the nuclear bombs in like this? Army, Air Force Base. Well, because Roswell ties back to the well of Mars. It's Mars. You're trying to invoke Mars. That's why. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why I really very strongly believe that it was a ritual. And the whole thing with General Raimi, the Ram, Jupiter, Amon, you know, and it's like calling on very powerful gods. And these gods go back a long way before Jehovah and all these other figures. You know and I told you about this figure that um I mean goes by a number of different names, whether you're looking at it from uh, Babylonian or Sumerian or uh, Akkadian, and it's interesting because there's an invocation to this figure in the uh, Simon Necromonicon as well, this character whether he's called Gira or Gebel, or era or you know a number of different names Ishum, this uh, ancient Lucifer figure that i'm that I've discussed at the beginning of the year uh, of the program now. This figure goes back at least, I mean, we have written evidence of this figure 2,500 years before Christ. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now he's called the shepherd of God 2,500 years before Christ. Who do you think came first? You know, it's like, you know, the people who wrote the Bible, where do you think they were getting all this information from? They were getting from the library of Babylon. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's the same process it's drawing upon these very ancient powerful energies to appropriate that power for yourself right it's human nature it's something that anthropologists and psychologists will have to explain <laughs> but i would argue that it it most certainly has magical repercussions that it produces results and it, why do i say that because if it didn't People wouldn't do it anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know people don't people don't read tea leaves anymore
3: mm-hmm.
1: they're all kind of magical practices that that aren't in use anymore, you know what I mean, right, and some that are yeah, I mean the whole psychological explanation for these practices really doesn't pan out because you have to wonder like, well, why do people still work with tarot decks? well, because they're happy with the results. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, people don't, people don't really, or at least in the West, I mean, you don't see a lot of people working with I Ching. I mean, there are a lot of divination systems that people just don't use, but they, they still use astrology. They still use the tarot, you know, they still use, uh, uh, Ouija boards. Why do they use them? Because they work, you -hmm. know, as far as they're concerned. You know what I mean? Uh, if they didn't work, they wouldn't be used.
0: Yep. So let me ask you about, if we get into technology today, there's a lot of people that get caught up in the latest apps and VR, but oh, in areas where, areas where it really counts, I mean, you're you're pretty critical saying that innovation seems to be long dead. What are your thoughts on Silicon Valley and what's happening? See, that isn't just me. The
1: The only major uh, figure in Silicon Valley who supported Donald Trump is a guy named Peter Thiel, and he's one of the founders of PayPal. And he also runs this security company called Palantir. And you know, he says that we haven't had real innovation in 40 years, uh, or maybe even 45 years. He said since the early 1970s. Everything that we they're working with now, say Snapchat and instant messaging and all this kind of stuff, these are all refinements of technologies that were being developed in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Like in the literally in the 1960s. You know, we talked about this guy Vannevar Bush, okay? The guy who is provably, through government documents, at least was known to be interested in studying UFO technology at the same time he's deeply connected to the development of the transistor and all the rest of it. He basically conceptualized the World Wide Web in the 1940s. Okay, (laughs) He wrote a a very famous essay that conceptualized the, the World Wide Web all the way back then. So there's been a whole movement of very brave sociologists, professors, all these kind of people are saying, you know what, all the shit you're reading about technology and science and all the rest of it, none of it is true. And this is something that I've been talking about for years, because I was reading Wired back in the early 90s. I was reading Mondo 2000. You know, I was always like... Every time DARPA put out a headline, I mean, I've lost count of the amount of headlines that DARPA put out that never appeared, you know, that never hit the market or never hit the battlefield or, you know, you name it. And the thing is, is that all these articles that people will put in their Facebook feeds, and, and I think it's starting to sort of die down a bit. But you know all uh, this—I fucking love science kind of stuff. (sighs) When you actually read the articles, they're so filled with qualifiers and and walkbacks and oh maybe this will happen, we'll see. You know it's like, say an example, it's like you know you will grow two heads in the future, and it's like oh my god, that'll be amazing. You know it's like and it's like well if the technology emerges that will allow you to grow two heads, you'll grow two heads. I mean like literally, <laughs> that's like the the article. It's like yeah. that it's that amount of foolishness.
0: Smoke and mirrors.
1: It's smoke and mirrors because it's it has a political it reminds me very much of like late Soviet propagandizing. Uh my wife had given me some uh Soviet world magazines because they had some stuff on Mars and some interesting things on the space program. You know, it's interesting that our Modern version of the Soviet government, the Obama administration, was also pushing this whole thing with Mars and all of the rest of it. Um, you know this whole like techno hype and techno worship and everything it's part of this whole false concept of futurism of progress being a straight line, a linear process that's that's constantly going up and when you really look at progress, it's a scribbly line that has a lot of sharp lines going backwards and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, I'm older than you. I'm older than probably a lot of your audience, okay? So I grew up really just as a lot of this technology was starting to dig in. Here's an example. It's like when I was a kid, like the big thing was Pong okay Mm -hmm. like oh great because you could play like you didn't you didn't need like somebody to play against you could just play the machine you know i was playing games like seawolf and later on i was playing like asteroids and space invaders and stuff like that Mm -hmm. really super primitive stuff but it was so new it was so different it was just like you could play monopoly or solitaire or Tinker Toys, or you could play Seawolves. I mean, just like it was a paradigm shift. right? You know what I mean? The technocrats have been trying to sell this whole concept of a never-ending paradigm shift. But this is where I start to just question the whole nature of this paradigm shift because you saw basically a static line of technological advancement. You know, maybe... Going up, maybe going down, maybe going up, maybe going down, you know, over a couple of millennia. And then the line shoots straight up right after 1947. Oh, gee, what happened then? Right. Interesting. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, they reversed spacecraft technology. I don't necessarily believe that's true. But I believe that something happened extraordinary, something that would freak People the hell out Mm -hmm. if they, if they actually understood, we may never actually know how it went down. You know what I mean? We can only speculate, but I do think it has to do with non-human intelligences. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I don't know who they are. I don't know how they, how they operate, but somehow they decided, okay, now's, now's the time for this to to click in. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Because the line just shot straight up. Mm-hmm. But the problem is is that since Xerox Park and the personal computer and all the rest of it, it's just been incremental. All they've been doing is just little touch ups at the at the at the edges
0: right where's the advancements in energy, transportation, space travel you exactly. know rockets are the same as they were then essentially
1: exactly so there's this whole idea of the e m drive I don't know. How much of it is still theoretical? There's a lot of science that can work like gangbusters on paper. But once you get to the application stage, it requires too much energy, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's there's just too much qualification Mm -hmm. that makes it untenable. Now, here's the thing. Interestingly enough, electromagnetic and electrogravitics and all this stuff, I mean, these are things that people in the ufology field have been talking, you know, as relates to recovered and, and reverse engineered technology for a number of years. So, I mean, we'll just put that aside. We'll just table that for now. Huh. But the point is, is that we're not going to work in jetpacks. Cars are essentially the same as they've been for 50 or 60 years. I mean, refrigerators are essentially the same. Dishwashers. Actually, our public works infrastructure is deteriorating. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bridges, uh, water, gas, electric, it's in serious trouble. I mean, that's one thing that the Trump was actually dead on about is that we've got some serious major problems with, with our infrastructure in the United States. Right. It's deteriorating and it threatens, you know, our economic future.
0: Mm-hmm. What about the argument that for the past couple of decades, all the technologies, we don't see them because they've gone underground. Deep state projects, well, breakaway civilization stuff. Do you think those claims might be overinflated?
1: I think they're overinflated. But I, but like I said, I mean, get back to what I was saying about Hillary and John Podesta. I think that there is a core of truth to them. I think that there is wild speculation pasted onto them. I'll give you a, a perfect example. Now, this is an example I always like to bring up. In 1966, which seems to be a very crucial year because that's also the year that MK often kicked in. In 1966, we saw the secret technology of the uh, SR-71 Blackbird emerge from Skunk Works. This is a, a plane that has yet to be equaled. So 50 years ago, the greatest form of human transportation that has ever been unleashed Was unleashed. You know Mm -hmm, what I
3: mean. It
1: it could outrun anything flying today. Now the Obama administration put all its chips behind what was called the F-35 program, which was supposed to be the cutting edge of technology, and it's turning out to be a dog. A lot of our allies are stuck with it, but. There was a lot of uh, speculation that the reports of this program being a dog were all misinfo to fool the Russians, except for now we're seeing that the uh, the A-10 warthog isn't going to be replaced and everything like that. So you know the proof is in the pudding. It's like, if they're not going to replace this ancient plane, you know the thing that was supposed to replace it is a dog. So I just wonder, like, okay, if we had the SR-71 50 years ago, 50 years ago, mind you, like what happened after that? What's happened since you know we've had the b two which is which is pretty impressive and it's an impressive machine uh you know all these different kind of stealth things, but still, I mean, we peaked fifty years ago mm-hmm. why <laughs> now now, the thing is is that i believe I do believe that there are more that the black world is keeping things to themselves, yeah. And I think that there' was a major power struggle over this, mm-hmm. And I think that you know what they called the Rockefeller Report, that Clinton was involved in Lawrence Rockefeller, and I think Stephen Greer got involved in it. I think this was that world, that end of the power structure, that facet, trying to sort of muscle in on the action
3: mm-hmm.
1: and paying the price. Yeah My problem with a lot of conspiracy thinking is this whole idea of a monolithic power structure. I think that that is just not true.
0: Right. It's more Game of Thrones.
1: I think it is literally a Game of Thrones. Right. And I think we might have just seen the Red Wedding. (laughs) It might have taken place behind the scenes, but uh, you know, like I said, I get a very strange sense. There's an eerie calm descending over Washington right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and strangely enough, I mean, let's just tie this all back because I'm going on a lot of different Tangents here. But let me just say what this is all really about is that all these kind of side streets that I've been wandering down led me back into the main street. You know, and a lot of things that I've been studying that people thought were maybe kind of eccentric or irrelevant. You know, oh, you should be studying Marnock program and, and butterflies and kitten program and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, you know, whatever. When I started doing the whole thing with MK often, I think a lot of people thought like, well, why is he talking about that? You know, I mean, that was 50 years ago. Well, what do we see now? We see the satanic temple trying to start satanic clubs in elementary schools. Hmm. And we see the guy who runs that little operation. He was a neuroscience major at Harvard. He's involved with people like Reggie Dawkins. He's involved with the false memory syndrome foundation, which is just riddled with pedophiles and CIA MKUltra people. You see, do you see what I'm getting at here? Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know why exactly why I started writing about that stuff either. Like I had no idea that they were doing an exorcist TV series and then that popped up. It was very, it was very interesting that while I was in the middle of that, like the exorcist thing pops up again. So I don't know. It's just a very, it's been a very strange year. It's been an extremely strange year, Uh it you has. know, like for me personally and, 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 and in the world. And I don't think that people really understand how strange it is. I mean, maybe it'll take till next year to fit, you know, for the dust to settle. But like very strange things have been happening. I mean, Donald Trump is president. Think about that. I mean, just like think about that for a minute. Like a guy who like is a a couple years ago was like on Celebrity Apprentice is now (laughs) ostensibly the most powerful man in the world.
0: Makes no sense.
1: This is surreal.
0: So I I did want to ask you this, though, In, in terms of the technological halt that we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. The idea that we're in an artificial environment has always been interesting to me. And you tie this into the surprising lack of technological achievements lately in your astronostic posts saying things like, one has to wonder what would a world in which humanity were trapped or quarantined on a prison planet look like? Maybe our spacecraft would be subject to constant monitoring harassment. Maybe after 60 years of trying, we'd be no closer to breaking Earth's orbit than we were when we started. And maybe our most ambitious attempts to jailbreak Earth would be subject to devastating acts of sabotage, citing the SpaceX launch and CERN experiments. They've had wrenches thrown in them. Columbia. Yeah. I love that stuff. I mean, do you think it's getting easier to make the case that we might be on some type of quarantine situation with these uh, overwatchers not really allowing us to get beyond our little snow globe? Well,
1: here's the thing. Who made that argument 100 years ago? Uh, Charles Ford. Hmm. Okay. I mean, let me just give credit where credit is due. I did not invent that whole way of looking at the world. You know, that groundwork had been laid for, for all of us. You really have to wonder because the interesting thing to me is that we find out that Elon Musk is starting to talk about maybe we're living in a computer simulation, you know, not long after one of his very expensive rockets blows up on the launch pad. Mm -hmm. Now, We've all seen that video with that strange object that flies by just before that thing blows up. You know, there's a very interesting kind of cognitive dissonance that applies to that because I believe in many ways so much of ufology and movies and Hollywood and everything is not part of a conditioning program to get us to accept our alien overlords or whatever kind of nonsense, you know, you hear. Um, I think it's actually to just make us to dismiss, to ignore when things like that happen. When we see all these things flying around, harassing the, the space station and, and everything like that. I mean, it's been happening fairly regularly now. And they always cut the feed, and it's like, oh well, we we that's what we we just cut the feed anyway. It was it was time to cut the feed. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, if you don't think so, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you know I won't be invited to the good parties then. <laughs> Never mind. Right. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, to tie it back into ancient texts about a cosmic war, might we be dealing with some kind of consequences or ramifications for that ancient rebellion?
1: Uh, you know, it's. It it would be pure conjecture on my part. I mean, all I can do is just look at the fact that, you know, we're constantly hearing all this stuff. Oh, we have the technology to send E.T. home. We have the technology to reach the stars. You know, we have the technology to put men on the moon and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, okay, why aren't we? You know, (laughs) what what is stopping us? We're constantly hearing all these brags from the aerospace quarter, but nothing is ever done. I mean, all we ever see is all this junk parked in low Earth orbit, and they're growing tomatoes and playing guitars up there. Mm-hmm. You know, what they're really doing is putting up surveillance satellites and things like that. But um I would say quite strongly that that is the strongest possibilities of all the various scenarios that people would would. Would argue about is that, that, that we are stuck here.
0: Yeah. A lot of pieces fit that puzzle.
1: You know, the, the Gnostics were right. Um, somehow they knew, you know, before there was manned space flight, somehow they, they figured it all out. I'd love to know how. <laughs> I'd love to know who, who told them. I mean, when you read those texts and, and I'm not talking like the non-commodity stuff, that's a, an entirely different culture that's sort of like uh, you know when people talk about the Nag Hammadi gnostics that to me is like those are the hippy dippy gnostics you mm-hmm. know what i mean those are like the, the the city dwellers they're like sort of like the occupy wall street gnostics the kind <laughs> of gnostics that i'm interested in are the ones who've like survived for 2000 years in like the worst neighborhoods in the world i'm talking like the Mandeans and the yazidi and the druze people like that who've like dealt with numerous attempts to genocide them out of existence and still keep on ticking. Those are the kind of Gnostics that I'm interested in. Uh and it's interesting because a lot of people who are interested in Gnosticism don't necessarily recognize those people as Gnostics. But those people to me are the real Gnostics. And if you read their um their literature, it's just chalk filled with like one flying saucer after another. So I I think that they were keyed in from a very long time ago. And I, I think that they're Cosmology is bearing fruit now, you know, interestingly enough, and maybe that's why there's such a, a, a determined effort today to wipe them out. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me, <laughs> you know, seriously, yeah. Like, you know, in all, in all seriousness, I, I think that, you know, because they have access to information very possibly from sources outside everyday reality.
0: Right. It's part of this game. I get it. But man, it's been a great time talking to you. We we've gone into three hours now to wrap this up. If people want to get more Chris Knowles and who doesn't, where should they
1: go? (laughs) Just go to secret sun.blogspot.com And uh, as soon as I possibly can, I have a lot of material for new books um, that I will definitely be self publishing. Uh, Gordon has convinced me to do so. Nice. I, I definitely see the light now. It's just a question of getting the time to to put them together. But a lot of this will make a lot more sense when it's put into book form. I know we sort of rambled and we sort of wandered around a lot, but when you see it all laid out, it'll make a lot more sense. And it, what we should do is that if you link to the blog, I will link to the posts in question, so people can see things laid out more coherently than what i was able to do here sure when people see like the lucifer's technologies material laid out that it will make a lot more sense to them
0: yeah it's it's dense and <laughs> this is just a short conversation but i appreciate you coming back you are one of the greats when it comes to getting past the dramatic cover stories and getting into the real meat of things i think Uh, personally, I try to adopt a more mature approach to this stuff. And a big part of that is your influence and Gordon's influence. So thanks again and take care of yourself out there. All right, man.
1: All right. Thank you, sir.
0: You got it. All right. Peace. Boom people. (laughs) I know Chris thinks we jumped around a little too much, but I loved this one. I've read all the posts he was referring to. So maybe I had some helpful context to stitch it together, but I think it all worked. I hope it all makes sense. You could tell we were clearly distracted with the election results and the pedestal leaks. We left a lot on the table from what we were going to talk about because of that. But check out his Lucifer text series itself if you want to dig deeper or just wait for the book. You know, early on, Chris mentioned Lucifer's prayers always emphasizing I'll have no other gods before you and that kind of thing, almost being the first recorded monotheism. It's funny because there's a lot of talk about the deity flip, that the Vatican is channeling energy for a negative being painted in a positive light. And at the same time, have no other gods before me is what we're told the one true God says, according to the Bible. And then throw in the fact that Chris says a lot of this history around Lucifer has been erased. And I think we have a perfect conspiratorial storm here. He's also pretty clear, though, that Lucifer is a title... Not necessarily a character. So it gets really weird. Because is Lucifer a rebel who's working to help us in that Promethean sense? Or is it more satanic? I, I guess, it's, it's a mess. It's a tangled web. I guess just because someone goes up against the established order, we see them as a rebel. We see them as a William Wallace. But that doesn't mean they're a good person. They could be just as controlling and psychopathic as the current guard. They just want that shit for themselves. So obviously it's complex, but I just wanted to throw in a little fuck the Vatican while we were on the subject. <laughs> I don't know, but if veneration of these entities gives you power. The Vatican certainly had that for a while and still has a gold palace in its own city. So they're not doing too shabby. Let's not get ourselves a tangent. I know. But I do love the tone in Chris's voice when talking about the -the behind-the-scenes events of this last election. I actually wanted to add and the big spank or the Clinton spanking to the title because I do think that's what happened. But now with this recount thing, I mean, I guess Jill Stein's behind most of it. I I had to tune out now that we actually have results. But I did hear Clinton making a few comments about this recount thing. But, you know, what are you doing, lady? Just stop. you are fallen down in events. People are equating the spot on your tongue to assist from eating human flesh. Have you seen that one? Fairly convincing, to be honest. Your closest friends have been exposed. Your foundation's been exposed. You're old. Just stop. Take some vacations. Just build a little fortress of solitude and order your kids' delivery. We've seen enough of you. What I also liked about this episode is how well it fits in with some previous Joseph Farrell episodes, both in the third level of Power Pyramid being the Fascist International and also based on the NIMSA and Sonora Aero Club stuff we talked about a while back, it could very well be them with the hidden technologies and the large piggy bank that's working behind the scenes. I'm sure there are more too, but the globalists got spanked in exchange for a nationalist and the TPP was scrapped. That seems like that kind of fascist international play in a way to me, but I'm dumb (laughs) and I'm sure there are other players too, but also the idea of the planetary quarantine was brought up in the Treaty of Versailles template episode with Joe a while back. That idea is that if there was a major cosmic war in the past, some higher level would have instituted some post-war rules for us. Surveillance and whatnot. Maybe that's what UFOs are. It does fit with the mythology and the circle jerk reality of modern tech. Hard to say, but it is a deep one. I dig it. And I'm glad we got it all in before the end of the month. We came in hot out of the gate with Joseph Farrell and Anthony peak Then we hobbled across the finish line at the last minute with John McMurtry, Daniel Pinchbeck, and Chris Knowles. But we did it. And I think they're all pretty choice episodes, but this and Dr. Farrell would have to be my favorites for the month for sure. The links between magic and tech are strong. The idea that most of the strange phenomenon the counterculture is familiar with is the result of occult workings and rituals, I love it. If you're a flat earther or a fan of this prison planet perspective, you have to have an answer for some of the weird stuff like Roswell and these other sagas where elements are said to have come from other places Well, with this mindset, it could all very well just be here in other realms. Anyway, a lot to like. And it was another longer show. So you're welcome for that. If you want to hear more, sign up for Plus or get the seven-day free trial at the bottom of the page at com. In this Plus show, we got deep into some projects like Operation Crossroads. What an interesting name since Crossroads is where you make offerings to entities to get what you want. We also got into what Chris thinks was really behind the Montauk project and he breaks down how MK often was an offshoot of MK ultra with less emphasis on mind control per se and more on weaponizing the occult and torturing kids for good measure. Classic deep state stuff. We also got into the fact that night of the living dead was billed as a children's movie originally and that it and the exorcist were both way more powerful in their first theater run. And that's probably because they were weaponized to cause trauma. I think this is a common observation that these movies were way more intense in theaters. And the official story is just that, oh, well, the technology was so fresh and new. And because people weren't familiar with CGI and all this stuff, it was the most real they had to date. But I think that's flimsy. I think there might be something deeper going on, as does Chris. But it's a lot. Check it out because it is an interesting perspective on little pockets of unknown history. So, yeah, I think any higher side fan should dig this one. Like I've mentioned, I've got several shows recorded. We are going to get away from some politics shit because I think we're all kind of sick of it. And this one to me was getting away from that or at least analyzing it in as interesting a way as could be. But anyway, uh, also Higher Side Clothing is here. My new t-shirt company 2.0, better quality designs from passionate Higher Side fan artists. And they all relate directly to episodes. I would love to see a design based on this episode. That would be quite wild. But check out all the shirts, full color designs. I'm sure you'll see something you like. It's my new baby. And I'm so happy because it's real professional quality. As good as the best t-shirt brands out there. When you get a little money, you can actually stop compromising and do things the way you wanted to originally. And it's a beautiful thing. But either way, I'm getting out of here. I'll see you soon with what I think will be a Pizzagate show with David Seaman. We shall see. But I've done my part today. Your move, Occult Conjurers of Lucifer's Tech and Quarantiners of this island earth, we're on to you. And it's your fucking
4: Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings. Control over everything, the nine-to-five is trying to steal you, now don't that job seem silly? Hello, can you hear me? Should I play back recordings From some spying agency Wish we were younger and free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us and the damn